It's the Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 97.7. Do it, Larry. Bring it on. Happy Wednesday, my friend. What do we got? The Sport Hole. Butch, 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 butch. Speaking of the Raiders, they made a couple changes. Any thoughts on that or anything? I just feel for them and their family. You know, I, I've been through it, you know, and this business is so tough that we forget the human side of things, you know. And so, uh, you know, my, my heart is for Josh and Dave and, you know, for my friends over there dealing with another change. Mm-hmm. Who should the Raiders hire to replace McDaniels? <sighs> that was Derek Carr, by the way, being asked a question about the firing of Carr, or of, uh, excuse me, of McDaniels, and he took the high road. Here's the tricky part with the Raiders is there's four or five categories you can draw from when you're hiring an NFL coach. The bucket that they've gone to twice in a row is a big name guy who's flamed out somewhere else, but it's a big sparky name that Mark Davis loves. And he wants to, he's like kind of like Jerry Jones. You want the big, glitzy, flashy name. So he gets John Gruden. That don't work out. And then he goes and gets McDaniels, who had flamed out before in Denver. So you can go back to that well again because I think the Raiders think of themselves as one of the prestige brands in the NFL with the Cowboys and the 49ers and the Steelers and those types of franchises where we need somebody who's equal to our brand. And so we need somebody that people have heard of. The problem is if you go to that well, like Denver did with Sean Payton, there comes with it a guy who has some sort of approach and posture coming in to take over that job that you might not necessarily want. A cockiness, a sureness of himself, and kind of like I was talking about yesterday with McDaniels, with his offensive schematics where he had a God complex that he was the genius. He was the smartest guy in the room. I'm throwing out the personnel. I'm throwing out Derek Carr. I need some dope who I can bring in who is completely programmable like Jimmy G or like Kyle Orton when he was, when he was with Denver because I'm the genius. I just need somebody to do what I tell him in exactness and that didn't work out for McDaniels. Sean Payton is that guy for Denver. Big name, Super Bowl winner. Comes to Denver. He's 3-5 and five right now. I thought it was a good hire when it happened. It still can be a good hire, but this year, so far, it looks bad. That's Mike McCarthy, Super Bowl winner in Green Bay. Flames out there after several years of underperforming with Aaron Rodgers. Goes to Dallas underperforming has won one playoff game since he's been in Dallas. They're five and two right now. This could be the season where he turns that narrative around. You even go back, Mike Shanahan, one of the best kind of retread big name guys was in Denver, had success forever, won a couple Super Bowls. When he came back, big name in Washington didn't go well. There was disastrous personnel moves, went to one playoff game, had one winning season in four years in Washington. Andy Reid is the clear exception to this rule going from the Eagles to the Chiefs and having huge success in both franchises. So if you look at the available guys now, Larry, guys that are Super Bowl caliber coaches who aren't coaching in the NFL, and when I say Super Bowl caliber, meaning in their history they've been to a Super Bowl, it's guys like Lovey Smith, 
who you don't want. That's a 500 and slightly below 500, I think, for his career. Went to a Super Bowl, just was, uh, you know, uh, picked up again by the Texans. You don't want him. Dan Quinn, Super Bowl caliber guy. Don't want him. Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. His name will keep coming up, especially now, because college football might be pushing him out. He might be ticked off that he's going to get hammered again over another violation. Harbaugh is a guy that, you know, I think he will coach in the NFL before it's all said and done. John Fox, he's getting older, but there's a guy who's been to a Super Bowl. He's currently at a consultant on the Lions staff. And then you've got other non-Super Bowl guys that have the big names that could retread, like Cliff Kingsbury, below 500 record, one playoff uh, appearance, even though they gave him everything he wanted, groceries-wise, with personnel in Arizona. Jason Garrett, another offensive retread guy, got year after year of chances in Dallas, couldn't get it done, but a big name, 2-3 and in the playoffs, but an over 500 record. That's one category that the Raiders have drawn from. I doubt that they'll do it again. The interim is Antonio Pierce, who is a Raiders guy. If you saw the press conference where he's talking about, look, I was born in Compton. I grew up listening to NWA, and I was wearing a Raiders cap and Ice Cube and all that stuff. I was born a Raider. That stuff is going to fly big time with two sets of dumb people. One, Raiders fans. Two, players avoid going with the player favorite and the interim it never works out i know basaccio when he took over a couple years ago before mcdaniels and they won a game or two under him and the players loved him and all that stuff i thought davis made the right decision with an outside hire this is the nfl this isn't pop warner you don't just go with the assistant dad coach because he's available you do a worldwide search and you hire the best guy Don't cop out and just go with what the players want because that's not the player's job to make that decision. They'll always want an in-house guy, and it never works out well. The other bucket you can pull from is an offensive coordinator who has a star quarterback. This is a dangerous bucket. Brian Dayball had Josh Allen, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He was a star OC Helped the Bills achieve their greatest offensive success. Came to the Giants, had one overachieving year, and now is having one disastrous year. So it's it's tricky to pick an offensive coordinator who has one of the best quarterbacks in the league. This is what Eric Bieniemy suffered with, was how much credit can we give your brilliance when you're coaching Patrick Mahomes and same with Dayball with Josh Allen and coming to the pros right out of college. Didn't have a lot of sample size to draw from for Dayball, even though I think most people in the NFL think he's one of the brilliant guys in the game, just not having a good year this year. One of the safe routes is by going with a boring defensive coordinator that people rarely argue with. In fact, anytime you take a defensive coordinator, football people will say, hey, defense wins championships, even in this era of the NFL. We're not going to kill you for it. It's not risky. They're usually boring. This is Eberfluss with the Bears. He's boring. Their team is boring. The defense sucks, and he'll be fired in 18 months. But on the day of the hire, people aren't going to go crazy because nobody knows who these people are, and they assume that you've done your homework. The other bucket you can draw from is Super Bowl winning assistance. Copycat league, you win a Super Bowl, we're going to raid your assistant coaches. This happens every year. Shane Steichen 
Jonathan Gannon, who's with the Cardinals. He's 1-7. He'll probably last another half season in Arizona in a tough situation. He was dealt a tough hand having Kyler sitting out, but maybe they can get a high draft pick and tank for Caleb or whatever. Assistance of Legends is another bucket people are tempted to draw from, which I would say is always at a disaster. You already did it with McDaniels from the Belichick tree. All of Belichick's tree has sucked for the most part. Bill O'Brien, Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, going back to Mangini and uh, Romeo Crennel, and on and on and on. Not a lot of success from them. Andy Reid's assistant, he's got a couple winners. He's got Doug Peterson, he's got John Harbaugh, Todd Bowles, Sean McDermott, who hasn't won a Super Bowl or won a lot in the playoffs, but has coached winning football in large part because of Josh Allen, Matt Nagy, who's a flame out, uh, flame out. Pete Carroll assistants, Robert Sala, Dan Quinn. Okay. Um, so you can look at guys that come from prestigious coaching trees. Not a lot of availability right now in that bucket. Here's the next bucket, Larry. And this is a bucket that I think I'm starting to be converted to a little bit. Surprisingly, And that's the bucket of former NFL player coaches. It is a vast minority of coaches in the NFL who actually played in the NFL. The new phase of NFL coaching hires is all film geeks, young guys who were water boys and worked their way up, as opposed to this guy played in the NFL, the Mike Vrabel types. We want somebody who can have the respect of the players day one when they walk into the facility. I've always mocked that decision, but if you look at former player coaches who are in the NFL right now, guys like Vrabel, guys like Dan Campbell, guys like Doug Peterson. Now, a lot of these guys, in fact, the majority aren't the Vrabel, Dan Campbell types. They are are Ron Rivera types who actually played a position. These are quarterbacks who were backups their whole career and only played for a year and a half or two years. Guys like Doug Peterson, guys like uh, Dennis Allen and Frank Reich and Zach Taylor. But there's some winners in that group. Uh, In fact, if you look at all of the buckets I'm talking about, the former players are actually having a high level of success compared to the rest. So I wouldn't hate hiring a coach who had a playing career in the NFL that the players would respect right off the bat. But here by far is the number one bucket, Larry. It is the young film geek whippersnapper from Gen Y or whatever the heck these guys are from who are taking over the league. Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Zach Taylor, Mike McDaniels, Matt LaFleur, even though he's having a tough year, Kevin Stefanski, Brandon Staley, who people hate, but, you know, is in this group. Kevin O'Connell. That's the most winning bucket to draw from. And so you've got to find one of these young whippersnappers from Gen Y who's hungry, 30-something film geek, offensive-minded guys. These are all offensive quarterback coaches to position coaches to offensive coordinators to head coaches who are film junkies who never played any significant level of football. It doesn't matter, but they are the best bucket, I think, to pull from. So who can you get from that bucket 
I don't know. There's not a lot of option. This Ben Johnson guy is probably number one on a lot of people's lists because of his play calling with the Lions and how he's done the last couple of years taking a Lions team to near the playoffs to this year being the cream of the NFC North. So Ben Johnson's on there, and he's probably number one on my list because of those reasons. Eric Bieniemy has, uh, for the first few games in Washington with Sam Howell, looked like he was going to overachieve. They've now lost two in a row, and they're three and five, but I like Eric Bieniemy. He's a great option, I think, for the Raiders at this point. Brian Johnson from the Eagles, offensive coordinator, drawing up a bunch of stuff for Jalen Hurts, winning football, all that stuff. Wes Phillips for the Vikings will be on a lot of people's list. Todd Monken for the Raiders will be on people's list, even though he's new to the NFL. He's a college guy, just joined the Ravens. But, heck, John Harbaugh, that system, that's a guy you can trust having success. So he's probably in my top five. But number one is probably Ben Johnson. If you look at the college ranks, which I would say do not do if you're the Raiders, number one on everybody's list is probably even still Lincoln Riley because he's in that Gen Y film geek uh, tradition that is all the rage right now. He's Cliff Kingsbury 2.0. Lincoln Riley could get a job in the NFL in the snap of a finger. Matt Campbell was big on a lot of people's lists from from Iowa State. He's kind of a Nick Sirianni prototype, played at the same D3 school Sirianni did, had some heat on him a year or two ago. Maybe, you know, he could get an NFL job, not as quickly as Lincoln Riley. I think Kirby Smart is too smart to take a job in the NFL with the control he has in college football. Why give all that power up to go flip a coin every year to figure out if you're going to make the playoffs in the NFL. However, with the transfer portal and the NIL and how that undercuts these these despot, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Larry? Dictator coaches in college football who used to just be able to hoard all the talent, get everybody they wanted and run the town and be guaranteed to make the playoff every year and all that stuff. Those guys are being undercut by this new age of college football, the NIL and the transfer portal. So I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like Smart, somebody like maybe Brian Kelly, although I think he's too smart to go to the NFL as well, but guys that you would never expect to leave their throne in college where they are sure playoff team almost every year to say, this sucks. The portal has undercut me in the, in the NIL. I may as well just go to the NFL and do the ultimate thing, coach in the NFL. Dabo, too smart, realizes he's a college guy forever, plus he's struggling this year. You could get a retread, like I said before, with Jim Harbaugh and Chip Kelly, but my ultimate recommendation is probably this guy, Ben Johnson, with the Lions or Eric Bieniemy to do the head, head job for the Raiders. Don't go for the big name. Don't go for a boring defensive coordinator. Um, You've done that before. Go into the bucket that has proven to be the most successful in this era of the NFL. Get a whippersnapper, offensive-minded guy, and pray you get a quarterback. Because right now you don't have it. They're going to start. They're not going to start Hoyer anymore. They're going to start this O'Connell kid going forward. Pierce came out and said that today. And the reason why Pierce is probably unlikely to get the interim job is because interims sell the public and the fans and the players when they win a couple of games at the very end of a season and they've only got like two meaningless games to play and they might be able to win a couple of them. 
Um, Pierce has got to coach like the majority of the season, and the Raiders suck. So he's going to have a tough time and lose a bunch of games, meaning nobody's going to want him to stick around probably by the end of the year would be my guess. Anything else on that, Larry? No. All right, next topic. Very good, buddy. Listener voicemail. Call us with your inane observations at 93776. All right, let's uh let's do it, buddy. We got you can call us 93776 anytime with your questions, comments, leave a voicemail mail. These are character calls, I believe, right, Larry? Yes. And so we'll get through as many of these as we can. Go ahead. Question number one. Oh, Ethan. Yeah, go ahead with Ethan. Hi, Sporty, and what's up, Jeremy and Larry? Did you see McAfee talking about Salt Lake getting an NHL team? This guy is all over it with Utah, my friend. I did see it. Larry, did you pull the audio on that? No. We're going to have Bernsey talk about this. You can go read an article, sportsradio977.com. Rustin Burnside wrote about this. Um, McAfee had Bettman on his show. Look, I think I think I think Vegas needs every major league sport, at least one team in each. That's the mecca for pro sports in the 21st century with gambling being cool by everybody now and fans and events and Vegas does it right. Raiders have been great there. Obviously, the Knights are the best show in the NHL and have had the best attendance in the NHL almost since its inception, I think. So the NBA needs a team. Uh, the A's are getting a team and um that's all of them, right? I think Salt Lake. The NHL is a harder sell for me, um, because of the because of the. I mean, Phoenix is the worst hockey town in the league, and they have a stadium that fits like seven hundred people. So it's pathetic. They need to get rid of that, or they need to relocate that franchise. The problem is, if you're Salt Lake, you don't want a relocation. You want an expansion team because the NHL waits expansion teams in the draft and your ability to get really good players right off the bat. It's awesome to be an expansion team in the NHL, not so much a relocation where you inherit all the mistakes of the front office of the previous incompetent organization like the Coyotes. But if I'm Salt Lake, I'd much rather have a Major League Baseball team than the NHL. The conflict the NHL has with the Jazz, are they going to share a stadium and do people give a crap enough about 41 home games during the most important season for Utah fans, which is Jazz season at the same time? I don't know. Baseball, I'm more excited for that possibility. But I like, I agree with you, Ethan. I like that McAfee's the biggest booster for the state of Utah the last couple weeks in, in almost every way. Great question. What's next, Larry? Who do we got? All right, we got John. Okay, go ahead, John. Sport hole. What the heck is stop rate in college football? I hate all of these new metrics in sports. I don't know what the heck anybody is talking about anymore. Oh, thanks for asking. This is new to me, too. I don't know what all the, you know, when you listen to David Locke's podcast and he's giving you all the percentages and EPA and for, you know, war and all that crap in baseball. It's hard to wrap your head around all those numbers. Stop rate, though, I actually like. Stop rate in college football and I guess football in general is... How many times you force the team to punt, turn it over, or turn it over on downs? Pretty simple. Basically, what percentage of the time does your defense succeed? And I think it's more indicative 
of how good your defense is as opposed to looking at yards given up per game, which we often do when we're rating the best defenses in a conference. We just go to which defense is giving up the least amount of yards per game or the least amount of points per game. I think least amount of points is a good metric, and that means something because it's a tangible, that that's a real number. But generating stops, I love this stat. And if you look at the top teams in the country, I think Michigan's one, Ohio State's two, Penn State's three, three Big Ten teams. And why? Because they play Jack in the non-conference and they play Jack in the conference schedule, I think has something to do with it. Weird teams like SMU are in the top five, Utah's 16th, BYU's 37th, so top 50 for the Cougars. If we looked at this stat last year and the years previous, probably not in the top 50, maybe not in the top 70. Utah State, I believe, was 99th, Larry, in this. So that's what stop right is, and I like it. It's simple to understand, and it um, it's a true number. You want to generate those stops, and sometimes points, giving up points, isn't just because you get, like, like BYU, for example. Thir- Texas get 35 points, but how many stops? What was their stop percentage against Texas? There was some success defensively for BYU you could pull from that game, right? They, they had uh, two turnovers on downs against that Texas team on fourth downs. That was good. That was good. I would be interested also in seeing forced field goal attempts where you inherit a defensive possession in the other team's plus territory where they should at least get a field goal or, or, or even further in. Sorry where they should get a touchdown and you make them get a field goal. I would like to see that added to this stupid stat. Stop rate. It's not stupid, actually. I like it. Um, next one, Larry. What do we got? Oh, Jerry. All right, go ahead. How big of a doggone disappointment has this fall classic been? <clears throat> Last night's game was over before I even got a chance to turn it on. Oh, me too. I was out trick-or-treating for a minute. I have a two-year-old and we took him out and he was scared of everything. Um, And so trick-or-treating was short. So then we went home and I turned the TV on and the World Series was already over. I think Texas was up 3-0, then they were up 7-0, and then they were up 10-0. And I know Arizona battled back and scored some runs late, but it was still not a great game. Um, I talked about this in the shower thought. Do I feel bad for Major League Baseball? I do kind of because because Manfred put his money where his mouth was. He made baseball more watchable. He made it he made it quicker. He made it so dumb people could sit there longer and you know watch a game. So I appreciate his execution on that. The problem with baseball, look, in 1961 they switched to a 162 game season. Okay? That season The World Series was over by October 7th. The idea that the World Series ends in November is not good for Major League Baseball. Um, I think they can easily go back to making it a more condensed postseason and making the season end somewhere before mid-October. I know the playoffs are great. People want an expanded playoff, which is fine. But the problem is, anytime you have a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, or Monday night game, you're screwed. And then when you leak into the NBA season, now you're the third 
best sports option because people would prefer to watch these NBA games. So the, there's there's a couple of radical things you can do differently, which is say we're not going to go up against the NFL in prime time. We're going to play our prime time games on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and that's really it because Thursday night football is on Thursdays, right? If you want to take on high school football, fine, you can do Friday night. So that's three weeknights a, a, a week. You can be in prime time. But if you're going to go Monday, Thursday, Sunday, you've got to, you, you, first of all, never play on Sunday. But if you're going to go Monday, you got to play during the day. And I know the TV executives would say you're an idiot, you don't understand TV ratings, and you got to be in prime time, even if we're the second or third banana or fourth banana when you add in like a Dancing with the Stars or a Bachelorette or whatever the heck other people are watching. You would win the moment. The World Series used to be played during the day, and the 50,000 men in those fedora hats would be in the stands. You would win the moment. Everybody who has a job nowadays works at home, first of all. Second of all, those that don't work at home but work in an office can do whatever they want. They're on their phone all day anyway or on their their laptops watching YouTube. So they're going to be watching the game if they're interested in baseball. And there's no other competition. You would win the moment. People would be talking about baseball around the water cooler instead of wasting that time and then trying to compete with Monday Night Football, the opening of the NBA, and Dancing with the Stars. I would rather have my own blank cam- canvas to dominate during the day like they did in the old days. That's radical. I understand it. You can't, you can't beat football regardless of who's playing. And I know these are two small market teams. Doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. But if you want to win the moment, regardless of of who's playing, you can't go against the NFL or football in general. Friday night high school football they had to compete against. Saturday night college, Monday night NFL, and they lost all of them. So that's what I have to say to Manfred. Next, uh, Next thing. What do we got, Craig? It's hilarious that the Clippers gave up first-round picks for the washed-up remains of Harden. How dumb is Balmer? He's going to be heartbroken, right? I love Balmer. He is going to be heartbroken, but he's an idiot. You can't teach these guys. Like, it took Carmelo, like, his 19th year to realize, oh, I need to change in order to give my team a chance to win. Um... You know, guys like Tracy McGrady, it took him being injured six different times and playing in Pyeongchang for a year to realize, oh, I need to change, and I would die. He finished his, he finished his career with the Spurs, wanted, just dying to win something, right? Harden can't, we can't win with him. You can't win with James Harden. You can't win with Russell Westbrook. I respect Westbrook because he plays 110% effort every possession, but you can't win a game, big games with him. Especially now. You couldn't win big games with Russell Westbrook when he was 23 years old. You sure as heck can't do it now. Playoff P, same thing. Kawhi knows how to win, but he's outnumbered by three losers. So it's going to be a disaster with the Clippers. It's amazing that they're even trying this. It's, it's like a an Onion article that Harden's joining that group of uh, of ball hogs. So it's, it's great. I feel bad for Ballmer because I like Ballmer. But he's a moron. All right, we got, uh, oh, the great Lambino. Love these uh, character callers. Go ahead, Lambino. Hey, Sporty McHole and Larry, what do you make of the Big 12 schedule release for next year? Love to see it, I must say. Yes, I love to see it, too. It's cool to look at. 
Utah, you look at their schedule. And home games against Arizona, BYU, TCU, and Iowa State. Away against Arizona State, Coach Prime, Houston, Oklahoma State, and UCF. They'll be favored in maybe every single one of those games next year. They don't play Cincinnati, West Virginia, Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor, and Texas Tech. So they dodge Kansas State, which is great. And Baylor, who sucks this year but is usually okay. And Kansas, who is good, has been good the last two years. Utah's out-of-conference schedule is SUU. They should add Utah State to that list. But I think SUU is the only one scheduled as of now for next year. BYU home games, Arizona, Houston, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State. At Utah, Arizona State, Baylor, and UCF. Don't play Cincinnati, Texas Tech, Colorado. Sucks that they don't get to play Colorado. Iowa State and TCU. So they dodge TCU. They dodge, I guess, uh, Iowa State. I don't know. Iowa State's no good. Colorado's no good. But they might be better next year. Out-of-conference schedule for the Cougars next year, SIU, Wyoming, and SMU. So a weird out-of-conference schedule. I think they're at Wyoming, by the way, in Laramie. That could be a dangerous game. So it's good to see this all on uh, on paper. And I think Utah, like I said, will be favored in a lot of those games. Especially if Rising and Keithy come back and play as 29-year-olds, you know, or however they all however. Excuse me, however old they are. Love to see it, Larry. All right. Great character calls. Keep those coming. 900-3776. Next topic, Larry. It's ladies' night. Ladies, call us for some direction in your life at 900-3776. All right. It's been way too long since we've done a ladies' night call. It's been a sausage fest for way too long in the sport hole, we open up the phones. We have Sherry on the program. Sherry, thanks for calling us. I'll do the best I can to help you out. What do we got? Well, thanks for taking my call. You're I just welcome. have one question. Um, my, I have two sons. One is getting married, the youngest, in Cancun. Oh, cool. In May. And his brother, older brother, is the best man. And um, he's in this open relationship with a married couple. He lives with the Ooh-ooh. wife. The husband is out of town on school. Anyway, long story short, he asked my son if he could bring her to his wedding in Cancun. That's a week-long vacation slash wedding. And what did the son say? What did the other son say? He said he has a plus one, so he could bring her. But his fiance doesn't want her to come. Okay, this is a challenging question. Here's where I I err on the side of allowing adults to do what they want to do if it's not hurting anybody else. So based on what I've heard from you, Sherry, is the the open relationship couple apparently is cool with this guy dating the wife in the couple. It's not a affair because it's an open marriage, if I'm understanding that correctly. Thus, I give you my permission to let this trollop come to the wedding. Uh, all's well that ends well. Mazel tov. Enjoy 
Cancun. If, if it were a, you know, a secret uh, relationship they were having and the husband didn't know, obviously there would be an ethical problem there. I'm not trying to do the, eth- uh, the uh, ethicist job on this program. This is just ladies' night, but I give it my two thumbs up. Sherry, thanks for calling. Ladies' night in the sport hole. Next topic, Larry. I, I live for radio and on television. And- Podcast of the week. All right, podcast of the week. I usually like to tr- find one that you haven't uh, heard of or listened to a lot, probably. But this is the Joe Rogan podcast, which the whole every male from about the age of fourteen to probably thirty-five listens to this podcast. That's why it makes a hundred million dollars. Uh, you got a little clip of this one, Larry? Elon Musk was on the pro uh, is on the Joe Rogan show yesterday. Go ahead, Lawrence, if you got a clip. We try right now, if you want. I wish I had it with me. Um, <coughs> I don't. Is it at your house or something? Yeah. Should we send someone to go get it? We could no. do the demo tonight. That would be interesting. Yeah, I'll walk, I'll, maybe I'll drive back with an arrow sticking out of my car. I bet I could get in there. Yeah, okay, I'll bet you can't. Really? Yeah, I'll bet you dollar. Damn. <laughs> I think we should do it. Absolutely. Okay. When you want to do it right now? Yeah, I can do it right now. Okay, let's do it right now. Let's right. do it right now. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that is... Uh, uh, the. Uh, be helpful to have a little context with your clips there, Lawrence. Judas Priest. So Elon has his cyber truck, which is that weird metal hexagonal truck thing, and he's saying it's bulletproof. We're going to shoot a Tommy gun at it, and the bullets won't be able to, to penetrate. And Rogan says, I bet I can get my crossbow through it. And Musk's, this is what's cool about podcasts, is they're just sitting there for three hours. And anything that comes, they just do get up and go and do an experiment in the middle of the podcast, right? Can't do that on radio. He goes, he shoots the arrow, and it explodes on the Cybertruck, and Musk wins the bet. So, I don't know if I would recommend that episode, but it was fine. They talk about Twitter and Musk buying Twitter and how important that was. I mean, it's like a three-hour show. I saw a few clips, and I hadn't listened to any other podcasts. So that recommendation isn't great. Next topic, Larry. Life is happening for you, not to you. And if you keep going, it will open. It's time for Life Coach in the Sport Hole. All right, I'm really excited about this one. This is one of the best ones ever, and I may—I don't think I've done it before. So here's what you do. Life Coach is brought to you by um, our good friends at Wikilicious. Is hiding your favorite treat or snack that's in your pantry in a container that isn't something that people use. Like, this works great for Girl Scout cookies if you like the tagalongs or you like tagalongs suck. But what are the good ones? Samoas. You take the Samoa's tray, you take it out, and you put it in the tray of Tagalongs. Is, is Tagalongs the peanut butter ones? What's the ones that nobody likes? You take the Samoa's, you put it in the box that nobody likes, and they'll just be there for eternity. Nobody will bother them except you. Um, and I was reminded of this over Halloween where it was like, dang, all the Twix are going like hotcakes. I need to hide these Twix in like the saltines box in the pantry. And it's great because you don't have to hide them in your sock drawer where they're going to melt or they're going to get your stuff dirty. 
and you're going to forget about. You just put them in plain sight in a Trisket box, and they'll be there for the next decade if you want them to. Or you eat them every night, and you enjoy them, and nobody else in your family can. All right, we got to hurry. we got QBU coming up after this. Next quick topic, Larry. The Sport Hall. Butch, 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 butch. Speaking of the Raiders, they... Two-Minute Drill, presented by Ideal Home and Auto Paint. To the five, to the two, diving, touchdown! Who should the Raiders hire to replace McDaniels? Uh-huh. What's the next one? What proof do we have that Skyview is elite? What proof do we have that Skyview is elite? I don't know that we have proof Skyview is elite. They're undefeated. They're the number one seed, but they don't have an elite win on the schedule. They haven't played anybody that is in the same league as Crimson Cliffs, whereas Desert Hills and Crimson Cliffs have played teams that are on the tier of a Crimson Cliffs team. Desert Hills played Brighton and Lehigh and Crimson Cliffs. Crimson Cliffs played Bingham and Springville and won those games. They haven't played themselves, so they played two teams on their own level and uh, smacked Springville. Desert Hills lost both of those games, but they've all three of those games, but they've played tough competition. Skyview hasn't. Skyview's blowing out teams and beating teams barely that are teams like Bear River and Ridgeline, who's a great program, but not haven't had their elite year like they had a couple years ago. So I think the one evidence that we can draw from that that Skyview is elite, aside from that they've won every dang game they've played in, even though they've won some close and they haven't had the hardest strength schedule, is they can run the dang ball. They've run it for over 2,300 yards. They've rushed for 35 touchdowns this year. Brevin Egbert just went for 270 or something in their in their first playoff game. They've got Green Canyon this upcoming week. So they're big. They're farm boys. They're tough. They've got a good record in the postseason against Region 9 with the style of football they play. So if you point to one, it can't be their schedule or pointing to one of their wins like you can with Crimson Cliffs, who smacked Springville. You have to look at the toughness of the program and their ability to run the ball. And maybe that can cause a problem if it gets to that point where they're playing either Desert Hills or Crimson Cliffs in the state championship game. Larry, we got to go. We'll come back. We got quarterback you with JBT breaking down Desert Hills quarterback Garrett Grondel. When we come back here in the Sport Hole, thanks for being with us.